You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Troubled Waters. Hello my radio friends, welcome to today's program where I hope you will find some biblical answers to questions that may have given you concerns. This though is not a question and answer program, it's about dealing with issues that come up in our lives. You may know the song Bridge Over Troubled Water written in 1970 by Paul Simon and later Art Garfunkel set lyrics to the music. Originally Paul Simon was impressed with one line from a Baptist hymn book. Just before this Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King had been assassinated and with those somewhat depressing thoughts in mind Paul Simon wrote a few lines of the song. More came later. Here are the first two verses of that now famous song. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side, oh, when times get rough and friends just can't be found. Like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. When you're down and out, and you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part. Oh, when darkness comes and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Basically, the song is about someone experiencing a difficult time in life. And someone else, like a friend or family member, willingly helps him or her to get through the difficult time. And, as you may have experienced yourself, it is a beautiful thing when someone unselfishly takes on a task to help someone else in trouble. The song is pertinent to us all. You've had hard times to get through, and so have I. We're all human and subject to sinful tendencies and do things that we're not proud of. At other times, we are victims of someone else's selfishness or bad behaviour. I suppose then that the troubled water metaphor very aptly des describes parts of our lives, those uncomfortable stressful and worrying parts. The Bible is a book about life and it has some very encouraging things to say to people 
who find themselves in troubled water circumstances. For example, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's some friend. Often, when people find themselves in trouble, friends disappear like shadows at nightfall. But to have a friend who remains your friend through thick and thin is a wonderful comfort. The Bible has a real-life story in the Old Testament about a wealthy, godly man who in the space of one day lost his ten children in a storm and his vast herds of cattle, sheep, donkeys and camels as well as his employees who cared for his flocks and herds of animals. This man's name was Job. Poor Job. His family and wealth were stripped away from him in less than 24 hours. In the book of Job, chapter 1 and verse 20, is a description about how devastated Job was. I'll read what the Bible says about him. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Back in Job's day, the normal practice when someone was severely upset was to rip their clothing as if to say, I've nothing to be proud of anymore. Shaving the head was a public sign of extreme grief, signifying that the person felt totally humiliated by what had happened to him or her. And reading on from verse 20, we learn, Then he, that's Job, fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, unlike many others, did not blame God for his troubles. Instead, he took his misfortune as just one of those things that human beings have to suffer. In modern-day parlance is an expression, shit happens. Something happens to you that's unwanted and unplanned. Job's was an extreme case. He had to suffer more than most. Soon after the initial setbacks, his problems became even worse, and large, festering, painful sores covered his whole body, so that no matter whether he sat, lay down or stood, it was very painful for him. If anyone experienced troubled water, it was Job. But Job had some good friends who heard about his problems and they all decided to come to him to see if they could be of any help. They were Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. 
Job chapter 2 verses 11 to 13 tells us what happened. When they heard all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep loud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust upon their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Troubled waters? You bet. A week after their arrival, there began discourses by each of those present, including Job. What Job said was a lament, but the others, well, instead of comforting Job, they blamed him. Although he was innocent of any wrongdoing, they said he must have done some terrible things that were extremely wicked, and as a result, they said, God was punishing him. Even Mrs. Job said to her husband, Look, I can see how you are suffering. Why don't you curse God and he might let you die? And then you'd have no more worries because you'd be dead. But Job was a man of integrity. He would not curse God. Some people refuse to allow God to be an influence in their lives. They may never go to church. They may never pray and may never read their Bibles. But when trouble strikes them, they might say something like this. God, why did you let this happen to me? Surely you could have protected me from all this. Such people treat God as they would a lawyer. They only go to him when they're in trouble. It is my opinion that sort of behaviour is utterly selfish. Those people look to get help from God, but shut him out of their lives the rest of the time. I hope you are not such a person as I've just described. But God was keeping an eye on Job and had plans for his future. Job's troubles were not God-originated. Instead, they were brought upon him by Satan, the devil. Why don't you read the first couple chapters of Job to learn the background about what really happened? Now, chapters 3 to 37 are all about the discussions that went to and fro between Job and his friends. The story gets much more interesting from chapter 38 to the end of the book. David, the author of many of the Psalms, found himself in similar unwanted trouble, and he also in anguish cried out to the Lord. In Psalm 22, the first few verses, there 
is recorded David's anguish. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, so f and f so far from my words of groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. You know, as Jesus hung dying on the cross at Calvary, he uttered those very same words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David felt so alone. He expected God to make things right for him and pled that God would notice him and come to his aid. But it appeared to David that God had turned his back on him. He wanted God to be his bridge over troubled water, but it appeared that God was ignoring him. But does God ignore people? In Luke chapter 12 and verse 6, Jesus reminded his listeners about how intimately God is aware of what happens to us. Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. When you're feeling alone, abandoned, worried and hopeless, God is still there. He knows all about you, and he knows the human condition. But sometimes he has to let the trials we experience continue for a time before he can do anything effective that will really help. God explains himself in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 and 12, where he states, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. There's more. But what we need to realise here is that God knows all about us and wants the very best for us. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
David and like Job we might have questions we might wonder where God is amidst all our troubles and we might wonder why he doesn't sort out our problems like we'd like him to do but we must trust him sometimes God does solve our problems with something miraculous I've had that experience and I'm very grateful for what God did for me But there are other times when I pled for answers to my prayer hundreds and hundreds of times, but to no avail. Nothing changed. But that did not stop me from continuing placing my requests to God. I continue to trust Him whatever the outcome. In His way and in His time, He can work it out for the best. Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14 is a description of how God feels about us, the pinnacle of his own creation. The text says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers we are dust. One of our children has given my wife and me a lot of heartache. I can tell you that as a parent this has been hard to cope with, but we still love our child. Unfortunately, we can't fix his problems. We give him advice, comfort and sympathy, but are not able to take control of his life. He's responsible for his own decisions. And I think God feels something like we do. His hands are tied until we're prepared to hand over control to him. We need to come to a point where we realise that we keep messing our lives up and then decide to say, God, I'm sorry I've made such a mess of my life. Please take over and do with me according to your will. At that point of time, people need to allow God to be in the driving seat, to lead them as is put in Psalm 23, to green pastures. Even if you find yourself in a situation where someone else is the cause of your personal troubled water, give the situation over to God. 
Like Job, you may be called to endure for a time. But when you place your trust in God, even amidst your troubles, there is peace. And you know, that peace is a strange thing. With God in your life, you can have peace even amidst troubles. Jesus spoke about this. It's recorded in John 14:27, where he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Throughout the terrible persecution of Christians during the dark and middle ages, millions, possibly up to 150 million, of God's faithful people were persecuted, hunted down, tortured and killed, first by the Romans and then later by the Roman Church. Many executions were performed by tying the victim to a pole, then laying a great pile of wood around him or her and setting it in fire. It was known as burning at the stake. Those were troubled waters for those poor souls, yet their faith and trust in God gave them a peace that exhibited itself as they sang hymns or prayed or even prayed for their tormentors. They never cursed and shouted obscenities at those who were putting them to death. Their faith and trust in God was the bridge over troubled waters. Behind all the troubled waters of our lives lies sin. It may be because of our own sin or because of the misdeeds of others. Sin brings with it unwanted consequences. Sin usually put, puts one's own selfish interest first, regardless of how it affects other people. Sin may bring temporary gratification, but it's damaging. And there's another problem with sin. It does not satisfy. I'll say that again. Sin does not satisfy. Sin leaves a spiritual and psychological vacuum. Yes, I know from personal experience that this is the case, and I'm fairly certain you'll be able to relate to what I'm talking about. If a survey was conducted of all the 7.5 billion people on planet Earth to see if they've ever done anything wrong, that is, morally wrong, what sort of result you'd think there'd be? The answer already exists before the survey. Romans 3.23 has the answer. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we are all sinners, that means the whole world experiences troubled waters. And that being the case, what is the bridge? Again, the Bible provides the answer in the life experience of the, the Apostle Paul. Romans 7 is about struggling with sin. Paul had his personal issues just as you and I have ours. There are some people who have tried to avoid confronting the sin issue in their lives by maintaining that God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, 
has been abolished. Of course, that's nonsense. Sin is defined by those commandments, as I've shared with you in a previous program. Here's what Paul had to say about his own experience with sin. It's in Romans 7.22. He says, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Paul saying, Oh, oh, oh I've stuffed things up good and proper. What a disappointing wretch I am. But then he provides the answer to his problems. This is where he describes the bridge over his personal troubled waters. And here's what he says. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah! That was the bridge to his sin problems, and it's the bridge to our sin problems, and the world's sin problems as well. Jesus is the answer. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verses 16 and 17, that answer is spelled out. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's Son. The bridge over troubled waters is Jesus. Remember what God's intention towards human beings is? It's recorded in Jeremiah, in the passage I read to you earlier. He said, He has plans for us to prosper and to give us a hope and a future. God's promise is also found in Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4, where it says, Now the dwelling of God is with men. This is looking into the future. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a bridge. What a future. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And it's my prayer that you look forward to it as well. And then, when Jesus comes again, we will be able to enjoy what God has prepared for us forever. So, why don't you use that bridge over your personal troubled water? <laughs> 